Hello, and welcome back to the Heisey Brothers Devotional Podcast. I'm David. I'm here once again with my brother, Jonathan. Hello, everybody. If you're just joining us, we're in the midst of a theological reading of Genesis. Last week, we talked about Genesis 4, Cain and Abel and the first murder, and Cain's refusal to repent, and Lamech's further descent into sin. If you haven't already, we encourage you to go back and have a listen to that episode as well. However, it isn't necessary for the purposes of listening to and understanding this episode. So join us as we continue our reading into Genesis. A quick side note about Genesis chapter 5 before we continue on. We're not really going to go into a deep dive into Genesis 5 because it's it's basically a genealogy. And while that is important for a, a certain understanding of Genesis, you know, for scholarly purposes, uh, it's not really necessarily interesting for the purposes of a devotion or for podcasts. So, uh, John, do you have anything to add about that? I'd say there's just one big idea to come from that whole chapter, which is in the course of human history, things got from bad to worse. Yeah. And that's about it, you know? Yeah. Um, like, you do have Enoch who walked with God and then just disappeared one day right. you know, for, for being holy. But essentially, you know, the story is that people became more and more evil as time went on. Right. Yeah, so uh, things have gotten things have gone from bad to worse, and that brings us into uh, Noah and the flood. But before we really get into the whole idea of Noah and the flood, we wanted to talk for a minute about the the idea of uh, Bible versus science, and whether or not the Bible is trustworthy, whether or not these are all just stories, or whether they are historical fact. We kind of touched on that a little bit in one of our previous episodes, but it's probably a good idea to go into a a bit of a a deeper dive into that, right? Yeah. Let's get into it. All right. So my personal take on some of these things, especially in Genesis, uh, is that, you know, there's a lot of poetry and, and interesting language that happens, but it's not necessarily meant to be read like a newspaper like we might read today. I mean, this was a book written for people in ancient history that spoke Hebrew. Uh, It's not necessarily something that is written for an audience like we have today, which, which takes something as word for word absolutely 100% accurate. Uh, In, in historical context, even some of the later things that we're going to see in Genesis uh, or and in, in Exodus and, and Deuteronomy, you know, uh, they they we see things like they wiped out Canaan, mm-hmm. <laughs> like and left none alive, and yet the civilization of the Canaanites pops up later <laughs> in the biblical history. So, it, you know, that that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Like there was a battle and they wiped out a lot of people. But it was a little bit of an exaggeration for the purposes of storytelling and for the purposes of the, the narrative at large. But it's not necessarily meant to be taken 100% literally, right? Mostly, yes. Personally, I think a lot of what you said is true until we get towards about Genesis 11. And that's when we get to the Abrahamic covenant mm-hmm. with God. And that's when we start getting into the exact history with Israel, a lot of that stuff before then is more or less kind of a history of the entire world. But again, not everything is going to be absolutely exact like a newspaper, like you were saying. 
So one of the interesting things here as we're getting into Noah's Ark, for example, as we're getting into this flood narrative, is that there were several other uh, cultures and societies that had flood narratives as well. Uh, there was a Canaanite version of it. There was a Babylonian version of it, to name a couple. Um, and the interesting thing is that they run pretty similarly, where they had a hero that was righteous, that was ended up building an ark and was preserved through this great flood and ended up you know, being saved through the whole thing and starting basically the new race of humanity hmm. through it. So... In my mind, that actually has some strong evidence towards it that something happened. You know, I don't. I don't think you get that grand a story from nothing. Well, absolutely, and I. I wouldn't argue that there was absolutely no cataclysm whatsoever that that took place. Uh, I think that my personal, my personal take on it would be uh, similar to something that I've I've seen from uh, some biblical archaeology, uh, and that is that it was much more likely to have been a cataclysmic flood that took place on a local level that we would understand to be today. Back then, the world was much larger in terms of it, there was a lot more that was unexplored, right? That's true. Today, the world is a much smaller place. We can get from point A to point B very quickly. And so our understanding of a quote-unquote global flood would be one where literally there was no land visible anywhere on the planet. I honestly don't think that that's what happened. Um, I think that what happened was there was a flood that wiped out their entire world as they knew it, which which would have been the local area, uh, so, you know, Sumer and sort of the surrounding areas in the in the um, Arabian Peninsula. But uh, and that there's there's archaeological evidence to support that there was actually a flood some eight to ten thousand years ago, something like that. I don't remember the exact number, but uh, there there was a flood in that area around that time, and there's archaeological evidence to back that up. So that could have been the source of, of this flood narrative that we get. And the fact that, you know, there was an actual event that would have been felt along coastal areas around the world would have also lent itself to that kind of flood narrative where, you know, there are these various cultures that have a flood story as yeah. part of it. You know, people we're sort of flocking to coastal areas uh, in ancient history and 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 uh, a flood that would have raised ocean levels by a certain degree and and wiped out coastal cities would have been a, very, a hugely cataclysmic event um so indeed and i think there's one thing to kind of t tie this back a little bit is that we are taking the theological view of things so what does this story show us about God? And to kind of get there a little bit is there's some stuff that we're shown in this story about God that isn't reflected in other narratives from other cultures. So one of the big things that we'll see as we're getting into the text more is that God creates a covenant. You know, ultimately, you know, this is a story of God's judgment in one sense. You know, humanity, as we just mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, it just got from bad to worse. You know, mm -hmm. people went more sinful. They followed their own path in life. They ignored God. And, you know, eventually we'll get to some of this stuff, but it even says in Genesis 6 that God regretted that he even created man in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into what that means, you know, as we're going in through Genesis 6. But, boy, what an implication. Right. 
you know? Yeah. To, to say that, like, okay, it's really got to, it's all got to go. Hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, there's a lot of fodder in this story, too, for conspiracy theorists mm. and tinfoil hatism. Like, we, we get these sort of ideas, especially in the beginnings of Chapter 6, where they're talking about the Nephilim and, and these mysterious uh, spiritual beings that are coming down and, and having these corporeal relations with humans that results in these giants and these men of renown, uh, as, as it says in Genesis. Uh, the heroes of old. The heroes of old, the men of renown. Uh, you know, there there is certainly sort of an allusion to, like, the Epic of Gilgamesh there. And, and you know, the heroes and the, uh, the, the mythic... Mythic heroes, not necessarily Hercules, or but it, but in a Herculean sort of style that that they're alluding to uh, for sure. And again, you have to remember that this is Genesis being brought down with the law at the time of Moses. So this is probably between fourteen hundred and twelve hundred BC, right? Which is pretty late in human history, all things considered, to finally be learning about where it all came from. You know, you think about, you know, the Babylonian Empire, the Egyptian Empire, a, a bunch of these guys have kind of been around a little bit already. Civilization has already expanded greatly. Right. You know. Well, and so when, you know, when Genesis is talking about this, uh, the reader, of the original reader of Genesis would have known exactly what they were talking about. But we today have to sort of guess a little bit. Um you know, I don't buy into the whole ancient aliens theory, which mm -hmm. suggests that that aliens came down and had sex with women, and that that was why God needed to wipe out the earth was because there was this contamination in the gene pool. There's there are people who believe that, but I I don't necessarily think that that's why God sent a flood. I think that it's much more about God was sending a message to His people, kind of like what we had talked about a little bit before. Yeah. There was a message to the people, and if you had to put something in there, I think I was reading in an Old Testament theology by Waltke that uh, it's likely that there could have been demon possession of men who were mating with women and basically creating spawn that was just even more evil than the human nature already was. Hmm. So there definitely could be a certain amount of spiritual contamination, but again, that's not unprecedented either. I mean, we see Jesus casting out demons in Scripture in the New Testament. Right. So. Yeah, uh, th for sure. Um, there's, you know, that's that's definitely a possibility. I, I tend to lean towards a minimalist view of, of this particular story, though. That's that's my yeah. particular take of it, is that, you know, God, God is always faithful to fulfill his promises. And God made a promise to Eve that she would bear fruit that would crush the head of the serpent, right? Um, and so because God is faithful to fulfill his promise in that sense, I don't necessarily think um, he was going to go through with wiping out all of humanity. I think that I think that from the beginning he knew he was going to do what he did. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I think I was reading from John Piper, famous pastor, uh, tends to lean more reformed. But he was talking about, you know, with God's regret of making mankind, that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't know what was coming. 
but more that the events that had to take place still caused him emotional pain to experience having to carry out punishment because he still cares for everybody. Mm, interesting. But, I mean, at the same time, um, it's not necessary for us to have uh, sort of a young Earth creationist view of Noah's flood for us to have a archaeological or, or historical understanding of Noah's flood in, in the sense that there was something that took place, right? Um, you know, the, there are the Ken Hams of the world that are out there that, that you know, create the, the, flood, the Noah's Ark experience and yep. <laughs> have made this literally huge boat that had so many decks with so many animals on it. And, you know, who knows, there may have been a boat similar to that and, you know, that, that the Bible talks about. I think, I tend to think, though, that this is much more of a mythic story uh, that may have, not, not mythic in the sense that it didn't happen, but mythic in the sense that it has been exaggerated to the point where it's, it's making a statement, right? It's making the same statement that, that we say later in the Bible where God, you know, God commanded the Israelites to wipe out all of the Canaanites, man, woman, child, and, and yeah. cows. You know, um, it's, it's that sort of mythic event that, that uh, is, you know, has, maybe has roots in, in a historical event. But the history has been maybe stretched and pulled in different directions. That's my particular take on it. Well, if that's the case, it would also be in order to show the totality of God's judgment, though. Right. You know, so absolutely. it's it's this idea that sin was absolutely prevalent and God's tolerance of sin is nil. Mm -hmm. You know, God will wipe out sin absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings us into what we'll be going into later with, like, the Noahic Covenant. You know, I think even if maybe these events are exaggerated or maybe they're closer to literal, that's still kind of a key part because it's one of the first covenants that we really see mm. with, you know, kind of a, a second Adam almost in his own way because right. he's kind of a beginning of the human race and yet we'll see that the pattern still kind of falls away in the same way as it did before. Yeah, and, and pretty quickly after. Right. <laughs> within, you know, within that one generation. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I agree with you. So among those other things that we've kind of talked about, you know, we're, we're kind of calling this episode Science and the Bible. So we're talking about what can we realistically expect from Scripture and um, what's its intent and all that kind of stuff. And again, we've talked about how it's not necessarily a newspaper. So this brings up the question of, you know, does the Bible demand a young earth creationist view? Now, for those of you who have never heard of it, it's what a lot of American fundamentalism preached, you know, during, you know, the early 20th century, late, you know, 19th mid, mid century. To, mid to late 20th century. Yeah. Uh, is where it really starts to, really starts to pop up. Uh, biblical literalism and, yeah. then, and then the young earth creationism really uh, popped up around that time. It's, so it's, it's actually quite a recent idea in biblical theology. Yeah, and ultimately I think this was a response to Darwinism coming up and becoming more popular around that time. Mm -hmm. And basically young earth creationism is taking the pose that the earth is probably only about 10,000 years old. I think some people have argued that it's as young as six. Basically, like, whatever the human race is within its modern form is what they claim the start of the earth was. Mm -hmm. And, 
they basically will make claims that dinosaurs roamed the earth at that time as well and that dinosaurs were wiped out by the flood. And frankly, the science doesn't really support that. It, no. it, it doesn't seem to line up with that. And I think the hard thing, too, is that Scripture doesn't really invite us to interpret it that way. No, it doesn't. I mean, we, we don't hear about... Um, we don't hear about Adam ducking away from a T-Rex or, yeah. you know... We Cain, built the T-Rex. Cain, <laughs> right. We don't hear about Cain and Abel uh, having to fight off these dragons, these huge dragons. Like, uh, there are dragon stories, you know, throughout many cultures, but we don't see any dragons in the Bible, necessarily. We see uh, these spiritual beings, sure. We see apocalyptic writing that has a lot of confusing imagery, sure. But, I mean, no literal dragons in any sort of historical context uh, do we see. And, you know, I, I for one, do not necessarily, and I'm sure you don't either, but I, I don't subscribe to the young earth creationist theory. Um, and the biggest point that I make when I say young earth creationism doesn't make sense is because I don't think God would create a world in which all of the appearances of that world contradict his word. Right. God would not deceive his people in that way. You know, he, he wouldn't create these stars that are billions of light years away that we can see and that we know are billions of light years away that it took light billions of years to get from that star to us. Exactly. God didn't create everything to have the appearance of age when he created, because as you're saying, that would be deceitful and God is a God of truth. Right. So the other scientific element of that too is we actually have a pretty good idea of what the origin point of the universe actually was. And that the cool thing is that everything is actually expanding out from that origin point. Right. You know, so scientists call that the Big Bang. And personally, I see no reason why the Big Bang isn't the word of God speaking his creation into existence. Right. You so know, that, that seems perfectly compatible to we, me. We've heard a lot of the, a lot of the time that, that the Bible is not necessarily a science book. It's not necessarily a history textbook either. Uh, but it is a theological and spiritual book. And it is one that speaks spiritual truths. It's, it's telling us the who and the why. It's not telling us the what or the how necessarily. And that the science tells us the what and the how. The Bible tells us the who and the why. Exactly. And even then, I mean, we can definitely put a lot of faith in science, but we have to recognize its limitations exactly as you said in terms of understanding the how, mm -hmm. you know, because there are a lot of things where a lot of scientific methods still require a presupposition of some sort. And ultimately, every presupposition is kind of a leap of faith. It may be a pretty well-founded one, but you still don't know for a 100% fact that that is the case. Right. You know, so even within the case of evolution, it's a lot harder to nail down the idea of macroevolution, that all of life as we know it came from goo, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, that's... Well, and the, the, the biggest thing that I struggle with is the, is the ex nihilio concept, right? The, this idea that life came out of nothing. Yeah. Uh, we've never ever observed that to be the case. And scientists have sort of danced around that problem for decades now. Uh, they, they've sort of said, well, it started off as this genetic material, and then the genetic material somehow 
came together and formed even more complex genomes, and those genomes then created uh, cells. And said, well, okay, but that's, you know, we've never observed that happening before. You can put all this genetic material into a beaker, and it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Right. So uh, for, for me, that genetic code, that, that, that spark of life had to have come from a creator. And it's, you know, people will argue and say, well, that's a god of the gaps theory. Well, no, it's really not. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about a god that only fills in the gaps that we don't know from science. I'm talking about a god that is the primary cause that he is the primary cause of these secondary causalities that, that do eventually happen. Exactly. Because like what you were saying, you know, even in a lot of those evolutionary theories and stuff like that, they always presuppose matter. Right. You know, it's, it's like, well, where did matter come from? And I've seen plenty of documentaries where they'll start talking in circles about it's just there. And it's like, well, okay, that's the starting point of your theory, but... We haven't gotten to there yet, and maybe science can explain even more, and we'll see even more what God's role is like. But again, this isn't for us to be intellectually lazy. You know, it, it's not a means to us for us to throw up our hands and say, "Well, it doesn't matter anymore." We can always dive deeper into our understanding of God's creation, and I think He made the universe intelligible for us to do that as a mm. way of getting closer to Him. And knowing his character and the way he intelligently designed everything. Yeah. You know, because ultimately I we don't see anywhere in nature order coming from disorder. You know, we, we don't see peace coming from just chaos. It tends to be things falling out of order. Right. That's the case. Right. So in order for us to be intelligible, it seems like a pretty good case that there was some sort of intelligence that presupposes our understanding. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And you know, I think another another great another great example of God's creation would just be the human mind. Yeah. Our ability to reason in and of itself has to come from somewhere. Um there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of philosophers out there who will who will make that argument that our ability to reason, our ability to have a mind uh is indicative of some some greater mind out there like ours that has put that into motion. Exactly. And I would argue that that's part of being created in God's image, ultimately. Mm -hmm. it, it's that idea of reason coming from reason. You know, it's it's hard to put it into exact terms what that looks like, but there are little things that we can say, this is a piece of it. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so this may have been a shorter episode, and we have covered, you know, a, quite a bit, I think, in this in this episode. But we will get to Noah and the Ark in the next episode. We'll see you there. See you there.